Uh, please stand with me as we read the scripture today. It comes from Acts chapter 4, verses 23 to 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of their father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan have predestined to take place. And now, Lord, Look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they prayed, when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with, the, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a, nat a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Here's the word of the Lord. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm really thankful for the brothers of, from Guatemala. It really sort of broke the ice for me, so thank you. I'm a little nervous. I don't know why. Um, so please be in prayer for me. Uh, but even though I'm nervous, I really am really excited to share today's message as we continue on in our sermon series on prayer. And, you know, to prepare, I read, a, I read a lot of different things. I researched different books on the Internet. And I came across these prayers that young children had written for God. And so I want to start off by sharing some of these prayers because I think they're so honest and there's something really precious about kids' prayers. Um, so here it goes. Dear God, if you watch me in church this Sunday, I'll show you my new shoes. Dear God... I went to this wedding and they kissed right in the church. Is that okay? Dear God, please send me a pony. I never asked for anything before. You can look it up. Dear God, I think you made a mistake. I asked for a puppy, but my mom came home with a baby. I think you need to check that out. And the last one, dear God, I think about you sometimes, even when I'm not praying. So cute. And so I started reading more. I kind of lo got lost in it. I got distracted from my sermon prep, and I was reading all these little kids' prayers. And then I came across this really beautiful story of a young girl in Zaire who lifted up a prayer. And this is a story told by a missionary in Zaire. And this is what she shared. She said, one morning, a mother that was staying with them at the mission center gave birth to a very, very premature baby. And things got complicated and the mother actually died soon after giving birth. And so it was a tragic 
morning, but the people on the mission center were frantic to try and save this very premature baby. So they were trying to make an incubator with what they had, and what they really needed was a hot water bottle. And they located one on their center site, but they realized the one hot water bottle that they had was broken. And so they were desperate. They called all the people that were at the center. They called some of the people nearby in the village, and they urged them to pray. They said, pray for this little baby and pray for her sister, who is now an orphan. And I don't know where the dad was, but they said she was an orphan. And so they prayed. And this little girl raised her hand, and she responded, and she said, I'll pray. And this is what she prayed. She said, dear God, Please send us a hot water bottle today. It can't be tomorrow because tomorrow it will be too late. The baby will already be dead. And God, please also send us a doll so that the older sister won't be lonely without her mom. In Jesus' name, amen. In the afternoon, the mission center received a big box. And it was a delivery from England. So it took about five months to get there, they said. They received this big box, and everyone gathered around as the missionary was opening the box, taking things out. And the first um, layer of things in that box was clothes. So the missionary was taking out the clothes, and guess what they discover right underneath the pile of clothes? A hot water bottle. And when the girl who had prayed that prayer that morning saw that, she ran to the box and she started pulling everything out of the box. And the missionary asked, what are you doing? And she said to her, if God sent us his hot water bottle, I'm pretty sure God also sent a doll. And she, she took everything out of the box and lo and behold, on the bottom of the box was a doll. Yes, kids' prayers are cute. But kids' prayers are also uh, powerful. And what I realized, not only through this story, but also through, you know, the sermons we've been listening to and through just life, I realized prayer is a beautiful thing. It's a little mysterious, right? I mean, for this story, I mean, I don't know. I feel like God, you know, knew ahead of time. Her prayer transcended our understanding and experience of time. And God knew in advance what this girl's request would be. And he stirred the hearts of the people who were preparing that box, stirred their hearts to include a hot water bottle and a doll. And I realized prayer is kind of mysterious. And I'm telling you, the, the exciting part is we have a whole lifetime here. As long as God gives us here on earth to learn deeper things about prayer because what I realize is prayer, an invitation to pray, it's not a chore. An invitation to pray really is an invitation to a relationship with Jesus. It really is a calling, an invitation to a life that is anything but extraordinary, a life that is full of God. So I'm excited to share with you from Acts chapter 4 because... This is one of the greatest examples of prayer. Are you excited? <laughs> it's one of the greatest examples of prayer. And this prayer meeting actually takes place at a really pivotal moment in church history. It takes place right at the start of very real persecution for the church. And this is not just like 
being mocked by people. This is like people died uh, for their faith. And so it's just at the beginning mark of a long period of suffering and persecution for the first church. And so I just want to take us briefly through the events that led up to this epic prayer meeting. In Acts chapter 2, right after Jesus ascends to heaven, his followers are told, instructed to wait in the room together and to pray. And so that's what they do. They're in a room, they're gathered together, and they're praying. And there, they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit just as Jesus had promised them. God breathes his spirit upon the church, upon them, and a church is born. And this church, now being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, they begin to go and proclaim boldly the message of the risen Christ. God does miraculous things in their midst. And thousands, thousands of people come to faith and are baptized. The very next chapter, right after this, Peter and John are on their way to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple to pray, they encounter a beggar. And this man is a beggar because he has been lame since birth, meaning he couldn't walk since birth. And he asks them for money because he can't work. But Peter and John give them something far greater than silver and gold. They proclaim healing in the name of Jesus over this man. And this man is healed. His legs are strengthened. He picks up his mat and he begins to walk. And everyone who sees this, they're amazed. They say, what has happened here? And it, it's, it, you know, the crowd is just going wild. They're seeing this happen. They recognize a man who was once a, a lame beggar. And now he is walking. He's leaping. He's praising God. And it attracts the attention of the religious leaders. And this is bad. Because these are the religious leaders who wanted to kill Jesus. And they succeeded. And so these religious leaders are angry. They seize Peter and John. They throw them into jail. They question them. They interrogate them. They threaten them. And then they warn them to never, ever again teach, preach, or do anything else in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they let them go. And that's where we come to our passage today. Upon their release, Peter and John go immediately to the other believers. And that's a comfort, right? To know that we have a community, community of believers that we can go to. That's what they do. They go to their community of believers. They report of everything that had happened. And what does the church do upon hearing all this that had happened? They lift up their voices together to God and they pray. Every time I read this, it really humbles me and it challenges me. Because I realize, oh my goodness. That means suffering and persecution didn't discourage them away from the Lord. In fact, persecution, suffering, opposition only intensified their need for the Lord. It compelled them to go running to the throne of the king. It compelled them to go and ask for help and strength. And they prayed. And God answers. God answers the prayer that is lifted up by the church. In verse 31, it says this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. 
And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak of the word of God with boldness. Scripture tells us that the room that they were in was shaken. Now I want to pause right here. I want to talk about the shaking a little bit. This is not just a slight vibration that they felt, that they maybe felt. You know, it wasn't kind of a shaking where they said, oh, did you feel that? Oh, I don't know. What was it? I mean, this was like not even a gentle sway of the room. This was a violent shaking of the room, very close to an earthquake. And God's answer to their prayer is in this violent shaking of the room. Psalm 29 verse 8 says this. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Judges 5. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the region of Edom, the earth trembled and the heavens dropped. Isaiah 6. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. Isaiah 64, when you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down on the mountains, quaked at your presence. Exodus 19, last one. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. God's answer to their prayer was in the shaking. And it was the best answer God could have given to them. Because in the shaking signified God's giving of his presence to his church at a time of great need. See, in these verses we see the trembling of the mountains, the shaking of the earth, the shaking of the room. This is not just a physical thing that is happening. This is a spiritual thing. Is what they call a theophany. It's a visible representation of the very presence of God. So at a time where they are being persecuted, for maybe for the first time, they lift up their voice to God. They pray. God shakes the earth. He answers them. He fills them with the Holy Spirit. And he gives them the best thing that anyone can give them, that he can give them. And that's his glorious presence. And right then and there, he assures them in a very powerful way, that he is with them. That's his answer. He says, I have heard your cry, I have heard your prayer, and I'm telling you right now that I am with you. This is even before a relief from their oppression. Actually, more oppression is to come. This is even before circumstances have changed. The leaders didn't come and apologize. How is this the best answer to their prayer? Well, it's because there is nothing more glorious than his presence. There is nothing more awesome. There is nothing more powerful than the presence of God. And that's what God gives to them in answer to their prayer. Do you know who I think of when I think of um, the presence of God? I think of one of my favorite people in the Bible, and it's King David. I think of King David because this is a man who had a lot of good things. He was king. So this man enjoyed, you know, the wealth. He enjoyed power. 
He had respect. He had his own kingdom. I mean, this man had everything that seems to be desirable and sought after in the world. But do you know what his confession was again and again and again when you read the Psalms? This is King David's confession. He says in Psalm 16, Lord, you are my Lord. I have nothing good in my life apart from you. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. What drives a man who has everything that is desirable in the world to make such a confession time and time again throughout his life? It's because he has tasted of the presence of God. And in the presence of God, he has come to know the beauty of God, the worth of God. He's come to know the goodness of God. We see it all throughout the scriptures. When people stand in the very presence of God, they are ruined for everything else except him. Asaph says this. Asaph is another author in the Psalms who wrote the Psalms. And he wrote this in Psalm 73. There is nothing on earth I desire but you. Even Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, he writes this. I count everything as a loss compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. And for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and I consider it all rubbish that I may gain Christ. When we stand in the presence of God, when we experience his love in a deep, powerful way, we are ruined for everything else except God. There's nothing on earth we desire above God. And our greatest cry and prayer in life is this, Lord, I want more of you. More of you, Jesus, in my life. More of your work in my life. More of your power, your love, your joy, your life in my life, God. So brothers and sisters, why do we pray? Every time we gather together to worship and we pray, we hold on to a promise. And the promise is what Jesus says, I will be with you. That's the promise we hold on to every time we come together and pray. That his presence is with us. And this God who is with us, he knows. He knows exactly what we need. Take comfort in that. God is with us. He is with you. Every time you call out to him in prayer, every time we gather like this, and God knows everything that you need. It says in Matthew chapter 6, God knows what you need even before you ask him. That means he is not just with you. He knows you. He sees you. He studies you. I mean, he created. He knows you inside and out. So even before you utter a prayer, even if you before you think it, the Lord already knows. And out of his goodness, he gives to us according to our needs. That's the promise. In accordance to his perfect love, he gives exactly what we need. He acts in accordance to his perfect wisdom concerning our lives. And then he makes a move on our behalf in his mighty, mighty power. 
That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's what he does when God is with us. When we are sick, he brings healing. When we are down, he lifts us up. When we are weak, he strengthens us. When we are dry in our spirit, he renews our spirit. And that's, but the greatest thing that the Holy Spirit does in our midst is this, and it is power. The greatest work that the Spirit does in our midst is that he comes in power. He empowers his people, the church, to one, keep our faith, two, fight the good fight, and three, to continue on in doing what the church is supposed to do. So there's incredible power when we pray. You know, the fight that we fight is not against flesh and blood. It tells us in the scriptures. The fight that we fight is a spiritual one. It's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces and prayer. Prayer in Jesus' name is a powerful spiritual weapon. When we pray in Jesus' name, and I pray that our church would experience more of this. When we pray in Jesus' name, there is power to break the chains of sin in our lives. When we pray in Jesus' name, there is power to thwart the enemy and to render his plans ineffective. When we pray in Jesus' name, walls are broken. To have that kind of power in our midst we must be a church that prays. We must be a church that prays in the name of Jesus Christ. Um, I mean, if you've been with us for a while, you know that Pilgrim Church has been trying to leave um, the PCUSA denomination for a while now. It's been years. And all of the ups and downs that we experienced the past few years led up to this one vote that happened a few weeks ago. And, I mean, to just be very brief, the vote did not take place in our favor. And it was really, really difficult. It was difficult because it was unfair and it was unjust. And it was especially difficult for me because, you know, it's, my dad is leading the church. And he's leading the church in this effort to leave. And I just saw the I guess the hurt that he went through. It wasn't just that the vote didn't pass. It's that he walked away from that meeting deeply scarred and hurt by the betrayal of many people he thought were his friends. And it was just, I think he just got so tired at that moment because he, he tried so hard to be strong. He clung on to the Lord. And then the vote is just like ridiculous. And that very night, of course, we've been, we've been in prayer knowing that the vote was coming up. And, you know, it was on a Tuesday night that the vote happened. And at 9.30, my dad sends a text to me and my mom. And he says, the vote did not pass. I am okay. I will be home late. And I was like, what is, I'm so worried about him, right? But I was like, well, my dad is a, he keeps his composure. He's a very cool man. No worries. Well, 9.30 becomes 10.30, 10.30 becomes 11.30, and there's no news from him. He's not coming home. He's not at church. I don't know where he is. And so we start calling him, 
I think I called him about 20 times, and my mom as well. We texted him. We called other pastors to see if they knew where he was. Nothing from him. And I'm just like thinking the worst in my head. I have a very vivid imagination. It doesn't really work well for me in, these ca- in a case like this. But I just imagine the worst. Because it was, it was like 1230. And finally at 1 a.m., he sends, a t- sends us a text. I am at church praying. I was like, liar, I went to church twice. You were not at church. But he goes, and he didn't respond. So I was like, should I go to church? My mom's like, we need to go to church. And I'm like, I don't have the keys for the church. And he, she's like, we need to find a way into the church. And I was like, okay. So we get in our car. I, we rush to church. This is 1 a.m. at this point. And I'm like trying to figure out how to break into the church. And then I realized the whole time I had on my keys a side door key that I never used. And I was like, oh, my gosh, thank you, Jesus. And so I open the door and I come in. As soon as I come in, step foot, I hear his voice. And he's praying in the sanctuary. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's what a servant does. You come to the Lord, to the house of prayer, and you pray. And so, you know, I was like, I have to be strong for my dad. <laughs> I've never seen my dad like this, so I thought, today I must be strong. And so, this is the main sanctuary downstairs. I come down the aisle, and he's, you know, at the stairs, and he's praying kind of silently, but I hear him praying. And just as I'm about to put my hand on his shoulder to, you know, tell him, I'm here. He just like flips over on the ground. I've never seen my father like this. He starts crying out and he's praying. He's crying and he's praying. And the only thing he's saying is, God, in Korean, he's saying, God, help me not to hate. Help me not to hate. Help me not to sin in my anger. God, in my anger, do not let me shadow your glory. That's all he was saying. And so what can you do? You just embrace the man. You cry to the Lord with him. And that night, I learned something really precious about prayer and about the presence of God. Anger is not a sin. But the Lord does ask us to pour all that out in his presence and nowhere else so that we do not sin in our anger. And I learned that that night, 1 o'clock in the morning with my mom and my dad. We clung to the Lord and we just cried out. And to be honest, I don't know if I prayed anything. I just cried out. I was like, Lord, we're angry. Have mercy on us. And then later it was like 1.45 and I was like, I'm so tired. <laughs> My dad had stopped crying. He's still praying. And I'm like, Dad, you have to come again at 5.30 in the morning to pray. <laughs> so let's go home. And so we went home. Of course, I didn't wake up for a morning prayer, even though I set like five alarms. But my dad did. He went to morning prayer. And I was like, oh, you know, when your dad is going through something like that as a daughter, you just want to be good to him. And so I made coffee and breakfast, you know, seven in the morning when I didn't have to wake up that early that morning. And I was like, God, what am I going to say to comfort this man? He comes in and he's whistling. He's singing like these hymns, and he's like, good morning, praise the Lord. I'm like, what? (laughs) Like, did you forget? And he was like, you know, I went to church to pray, and God met with me. He spoke to me, and God has a plan. 
We don't know when it's going to happen, but God has a plan and he is with us. He promised me that. So all we have to do is keep following Jesus every step of the way. Praise the Lord. That he, he always does this. Praise the Lord. And then he ate his breakfast. And I was like, um, <laughs> that's amazing. And I wasn't amazed at my dad. I mean, yeah, he's an optimistic man. He's been that his whole life. But this is more than just optimism. This is the power of prayer. And what happened was God caused my dad to lift up everything to the Lord in his presence in prayer. And the Holy Spirit came and empowered him. He empowered him to keep the faith, to fight the good fight. And to persevere in doing what God has called him to do. Church, if we don't pray, we cannot experience spiritual victory in our lives. That only comes when we come to the Lord in prayer and when he fills us with his presence and with his spirit. That's exactly what the church in Acts chapter 4 experienced. Not only that, they experienced a unity. They were deeply unified. They were in agreement and in fellowship with one another in Jesus' name. They, were, they experienced salvation. I mean, they never stopped preaching the word of God. Even when their lives were at stake and wherever they went, people came to saving faith. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. My prayer for us, CGS, is that we would learn to be a praying church even more. We already are. But I pray that God would take us deeper into this discipline and this joy of praying so that we'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, so that we could experience this spiritual victory and power in our lives, so that we would be unified, right, of one heart and mind, not only just to feel good together, but to really reflect the beauty and the nature of Christ, and so that we could see salvation being celebrated in this church, amen? That's what we desire. But what happens when we pray and we pray and we pray and we feel like God is not listening? And this is something I really, I want to touch upon because it's important. What if we are praying and praying and we feel like God is not answering our prayer? What do you do and how do you pray? And this is why I want to share really briefly my story. Because I believe I am not the only one who's experienced this. And I only have the right to share with you my own story. But for 24, yes, for 24 years of my life, I've lived with rheumatoid arthritis. It's not life-threatening, but it, is, it does hinder my life. And there were moments in my life when the disease was so active, I didn't go to school. I couldn't walk. There were times in my life when I had to, I couldn't brush my teeth on my own because it was too painful to squeeze the toothpaste or to even hold up the toothbrush. There were times when I couldn't eat food because I couldn't chew. My jaw was in too much pain from the arthritis. And because of all that pain, I took a lot of medicine and that medicine just messed up my stomach, the lining of my stomach. And so now... I struggle not only with the pain from the arthritis, but I now struggle with ulcers and acid reflux and all that. And I have prayed for healing for so long. 
I mean, people would take me to all these other people that were known to have the gift of healing. I would come. I would muster up all my faith. They heal. They pray for me. And then I walk away and nothing. Just a lot of hitting. Sometimes Korean people hit you when, you when they pray for you. So that's all. And no healing. And many, many people, because they love me and because they are people of faith, have laid their hands on me. Even many of you in this room. You have laid your hands on me and you have prayed for healing over me. But today, I am not healed. I still have arthritis and I still have pain in my stomach. And I have to be honest, there are times where I thought, okay, you promise your presence and you promise to do what is good for me. What is this good that you're doing in my life? I questioned my own faith. Some people would say, oh, if you just have faith, you'll be healed. I'm like, okay, that must mean I don't have faith. Because I do believe God has the power to heal. Or sometimes I would, I would question that God even saw me at all. Because I thought if he saw me, he surely would heal me. And in those moments, I meditated a lot on the goodness of God and what it means that he does. He works good for those he loves or those who love him. And I believe that meditation was really prompted by the Spirit. Because when you're at that point, like, you're desperate. And in that meditation, I asked God, what is the good that you are doing in my life if you are not healing me? And over the many, many years, this is what I've come to realize. That, yeah, healing can be good. Relief from pain is always good. You'd be a fool to deny that. But sometimes the lack of healing can also be good. Because I realize what is the greatest good in my life is God. And I've been so blessed that even when I'm not searching for God, he comes. He invades my life. He takes over my life and he makes himself known to me. I've been so blessed that God has given freely his presence and his blessings and his love. And now I say that, yes, God, you are the greatest good in my life. There's nothing on earth that compares to you. Nothing compares to being with God, resting with God, hearing his voice, being near to him. Nothing. So then what makes something good in my life? It's whether it brings me closer to God. And that is what the Spirit told me. If God heals me, that's good. Because then I turn it back into praise. And I point all of the glory to the Lord. But if God does not heal me, it is good. Because it brings me to a place and it keeps me there. A place of desperation for the Lord. Calling out for the Lord. My dependence on the Lord. And so if God never heals me until I die, it is well with my soul. Because through it all, I have gained something far greater. And it is the presence of God. And I will not trade that for anything. If we love someone as we love the Lord, what we want more than anything else is not what they do for us what they can give to us. What we desire when we love the Lord like that is himself. And what Adam and Eve lost in the garden, even when they sinned, was just that. They lost the presence of the Lord. 
and the rest of all humanity also lost the presence of the Lord because of sin. But God in his mercy, he chose for himself a people, Israel. And what set apart Israel from every, any other nation was that God was with them. And the other nations knew that. You read the Bible, they trembled. They didn't know who, exactly who God was, but they knew that God was with them. They trembled. And God gave to them this temple. And this, is, this was temporary. This was imperfect. Not because of God, but because of our sin. And there he chose to meet with his people. But it was still not good enough. It was exclusive, his presence. It was sporadic. And in many times it was kind of dangerous for people who were not ready to stand before the Lord. And so what did God do? He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus said this himself. He declared that his body was a temple of God. And there, in and through the person of Jesus Christ, God dwelled among his people. And then Jesus gave his life on the cross. And as his body was broken and torn, the curtain in the temple tore in two. And now... The presence of God that was once so sporadic, so exclusive, so dangerous, is now freely available, continuously available to anyone who confesses Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So brothers and sisters, prayer is about being with God. And a high price was paid for us to enjoy his presence. Do not do not think little of it. And now God invites us, a precious invitation to be with the Lord, to enjoy his presence in prayer. Yes, praying is difficult sometimes. And I think a lot of us feel like, gosh, we just have so, such a long way to go until we get good at praying or whatever that means, right? But the promise is this, when we gather, to the, gather together and seek the Lord in prayer, the Spirit of the Lord is with us, and the Spirit teaches us to pray. So I hope that we would respond to this sacred invitation and that we would come to the Lord daily without the heaviness of obligation, without fear, without hesitation, and that we would learn to be a praying church, that we learn to experience the presence of God. And I pray that as we do that, we would experience the power of God, that we would experience unity in this place, that we would experience comfort and healing and joy overflowing. May God bless this church and teach us to be a praying church. Let's pray together.